0: What's the script tech podcast? Where we feature engineering leaders in a series of one on one interviews, panel discussions, and live talks. We will be discussing what's new, what's hot, and what's not. Tune in every week to find out what's the latest and what's the script. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our first What's the script group podcast. Today, we have an absolutely stellar lineup. We have three engineering leaders in the Stockholm tech community. As we can't tell you how excited I am to hear this podcast and hear the guest thoughts on a very interesting topic, how to create and execute a tech strategy. Before moving into the questions, let's get to know our guests. If you can give yourself an intro, um, I'd like to know what, what you're doing, your name, what you're doing now, your company and interests outside of work. If you'd like to go first, Amelie.
1: Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Amelie Ekdal. I am engineering lead in Spotify for an organization that is delivering the best of Spotify to uh, platforms beyond mobile. So if you think about the Spotify experience on desktop or TV, or TV or on a speaker or car or off platform or partner integration, so that's an organization of 200 in the engineering function, uh, which I represent. Very happy to be here. And beyond work, I spend a lot of time with my family and friends, and I play as much paddle as I possibly can. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Welcome, Emily. So it's, uh, it's good to see you as a user of Spotify, and um, hopefully, hopefully no pressure on our side. Um, how about yourself, Anders?
2: Hey, everyone. My name is Anders Ivarsson. I'm the VP of Engineering at Voy, uh, so the micro mobility company uh, uh, spread across Europe. Uh, our engineering org is roughly 100 people, uh, and I also have a background at Spotify before then. Um, outside of work, I also spend a lot of time with my family, with the small kids, and in the little spare time I get uh, between work and. Family, I geek out with board games and role playing games, so Dungeons and Dragons.
0: Fantastic. And um, yeah, congratulations on your new re- well, recent alive- arrival. Yeah. And uh, well, welcome back to work, Anders. And how about yourself, Joanna?
3: Hi, yes. My name is Johanna Niebuhr, and I am the VP of Engineering at Mentimeter. Uh, you might have heard about us and the product before. It's an audience engagement platform, Uh, very popular in Sweden, but also all over the world. Uh, I've been at Mentimeter for one and a half year. And before that, I was also at Spotify. So that's uh, how I know Anders and Amelie from the past. And similar to Anders and Amelie, when I'm not uh, working, I spend a lot of time with my family, two kids and a husband. And when I have some of my own time, I, I like to go running or have a cup of coffee with friends or a lot of other things. But to mention one thing, I think running is the number one thing.
0: Fantastic! Welcome to the podcast, Joanna, and welcome, rest of the rest of the lineup. So, before, well, without waiting any, any longer, let's go straight into the the first question. Um, if you'd like to kick things off, family.
1: Yes, my pleasure. So let's kick us off with a question. So kind of if you imagine in a very complex, ever-changing environment with many teams, many tech stacks and uh, multiple stakeholders, how do you make sure you truly understand the need uh, and solve for the right problem in your technical strategy?
0: Fantastic opening question. What are your thoughts on this?
2: So, I, I mean, I think this is a super hard problem on, on what to actually start solving for. Um, personally, I, I think it's worked best when you, we start from the business side, so really understanding the, the business goals and the industry outlook. Like, where is the uh, business heading? And then trying to see, like, what are the, uh, what are the unique challenges that will, uh, that will either, uh, if you overcome them, you're likely to succeed? And what are wow. ones that are, are very likely to block you or might block you as a company? Uh, from a business perspective, uh, so I think it's it's easy for a, when you approach like a tech strategy to just want to add like all industry good practices, and you want to talk about architecture, and you want to talk about tech choice choices, and you want to talk about AI and all the fancy stuff, right? Uh, but I think it's super crucial to focus on one or two things that you think is really gonna like make it or break it for your company, and that might be you know scalability. If we don't solve scalability of our product. Uh, nothing else matters or it might be your ability to grow the org or it might be how you deal with necessary business complexity hard regulatory landscape or or perhaps just one unique tech challenge that you have to solve Uh, like that's the one that underpins the whole product you know you have to focus on the computer vision thing that's unique to to your company Uh, but i think that's the one of the key things for me is to find not all the good things you can put in there but really focus on like what is the one or two things that matters
0: perfect Well, your thoughts joanna
3: yeah i really like that and, and and just to add on top of that instead of like saying the same thing i think it's important to to understand the the time horizon and and to to make a proper like risk assessment that that's one way of making it more tangible um and then when you are in, in execution mode later on, like to to uh, revisit the strategy on a regular basis to ensure it's still relevant. Because like to be to be honest, like we as we know things will things will change for sure, uh, and we will never know what are the right problems to solve. We are betting on something, uh, and then we need to follow up on it. Uh, At Menti, for example, we are doing a a bigger review once a year and then a more focused review uh, three times a year when we are setting goals for the next month period. And I think it's also important to avoid getting stuck in analysis paralysis. um, But at the same time, spend proper time actually understanding problems before getting into conclusions. I really like the one way door versus two way door problem that has been discussed a lot at Spotify that can help a lot uh, when helping teams both make decisions, um, but also to understand how much time you should put on understanding a problem uh, and a solution space.
0: uh, What's relevant there? Could I ask what's the one-way door versus two-way door problem? I've never heard of that. Yes.
3: I, I have no idea where it come, came from from start, <laughs> but I heard it from Leek. Uh, so the idea is like to when you have a problem uh, that you need to solve, think about if, like if you have if the, it's a one-way door problem, then there is no way back. You can't iterate on it, and then you need to spend proper time, really, really thinking it through early on. But most problems are actually two-way door problems. And, and you will have chances later on to re- reiterate and, and like find other solutions to that problem. And in that case, the second alternative, if it is an, a two-way door problem, then you don't have to spend that much time really understanding that problem space uh, and, and solutions because you will get opportunities to get back to it. But if it is a really tricky, big problem where you can't iterate... Then you need to spend the proper time on it.
0: Um, in complex, ever-changing environment with many teams, tech stacks, and stakeholders, how do you make sure you truly understand the, and solve the right problem?
1: Yeah, I mean there were so many good points raised by by Anders and Johanna already. I just want to I want especially emphasise on emphasise on what Johanna was saying on the importance of re reviewing kind of mm-hmm. when you are in a space where things change, needs and problems actually also alters. And I have a, you know, a very like, painful experience where we are uh, working, we are misunderstanding what is the problem we're actually solving and kind of stressing the importance of being really mindful and thoughtful of who, who and how you review and create this strong alignment on what is the actual problem to solve. So to kind of give an example, we were, we had a problem where we, we wanted to be more effective, uh, but we had different ways of thinking around the execution of that. So kind of, we were kind of solving for a way where we wanted to platformize and make it easier for other teams to contribute to the same code base. While that turned out not to be the problem we wanted to solve for, uh, and we wanted to find other ways to become uh, effective. you sort of... um, I think that there is a very, very big risk that you are building upon a lot of assumptions, assuming that you have the same perspective of, of the problem and you need to be very careful and um, uh, detailed on the definition of the problem and make sure that you have buy-in. And you need to kind of revisit the buy-in as you move in a very fast-paced environment. So that's what I wanted to add, but I think that you all made really good points.
2: Yeah, I, I also think the, the same techniques that we bring to like normal product development of, of like agile, incremental, iterative development holds true for like larger tech strategy as well, like it's it's fine to think two years out or three years out, because that's where the strategic problems are, but then you still need to break it down into like, how do we, how do we incrementally uh, deliver this? How, how do we validate it along the way? Uh, is there some way we can prove out that this actually solves a, a part of the problem we're trying to tackle already on, on not day one, but perhaps uh, perhaps uh, quarter one, or at least uh, like, as you start uh, building things. So and it's not all building up to some hopefully grand future uh, far, far out.
0: Mm. Perfect. So well, yeah, great question to open the podcast and yeah, amazing answers from the guys there. Uh, so going on to your question, Anders, if you'd like to, you know, put it to put it to the guys.
2: Sure, it, it kind of onto, On on this topic, of course. So uh, my question is, how do you build a tech strategy that is visionary and strategic enough, but also grounded in in today's concrete problems?
3: I can start. Um, in general. Uh, And this feels like repeating what is written in every book, but I think it's worth saying, like we should start with the vision, like take the uh, business and the product strategy into account. Like where do we want to be three to five years from now? That's that's the starting point. Then like understanding current state, what are the problems that are like urgent to fix and what can potentially wait? And then... Within that agreed scope, prioritize problems to ensure we are investing in solving the right problems with the most, where we will have the most return on investment. And in that process, like, don't forget to link the identified problems to the vision and the product strategy to ensure it is relevant. Um, and just like a, a recent example from Menti is like, we had some pretty urgent things to work on um and not to derail discussions in the strategy group uh we decided to focus on our effort on like that specific thing like we 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 framed it and only focused on how can we simplify our tech uh and for us that meant like modernizing our monolith um there are a lot of other things we would like to do but we are optimizing for focus and getting the most important things out first. Um, and to be honest, like now we are one year into this work, and when we revisited the strategy in June, we I, I, we can still say that yeah, we are on track, and everything we said a year ago is still relevant. Um, that just that we now much more. Uh, and have taken like steps in the right direction and we are tweaking it and we are simplifying things and we have changed a couple of, of bets and beliefs but it's still like the right focused areas for, for us and if i can continue with one thing I, I think in this process it's crucial to involve the right people and to make sure that you have people representing all parts of the engineering organization preferably people with both long term experience in the organization and people that might be new to the organization that will bring a lot of experience from outside and and then to set clear expectations on the group like we want your opinions and perspectives but we cannot discuss every problem like forever and ever
1: yeah, some really good points. If I can add upon that, I mean, I think the <laughs> the basic components like uh, you need to have a vision. It needs to be kind of uh, ambitious, audacious, and it needs to look ahead, right? So it, it and I think it's important like the the leader that's going to communicate this vision. Really needs to see it. I think that's super important. Like it really needs to be specific. You need to kind of move yourself two years ahead and kind of feel what. How does it feel like? Like what are we doing differently? How does that world look like? How does it feel? How do we behave? How do we deliver? So that like if if you don't see it, you cannot communicate, or you cannot either kind of derive the strategy from the vision. You need to have that goalpost, and from that you can take a step back. You can break it down. You can can create the kind of here to their plan. I think, uh, and I think there, like so, if it's sort of, you need to be a visionary. You need to look at the industry landscape. You need to not look at your challenges and pick a few. I really like what you said, that Johanna. Uh, so just one thing I wanted to add there is to kind of, I think it's good to use different models when you explore and take the time. So kind of like, like we tend, we engineers tend to focus on the problems but to not forget the, like, the business opportunities and what yep. we can leverage with technology. There are there's other models you can do to kind of like also like really challenge yourself to see where we can do, what we can unlock with technology. So kind of mm-hmm. to get that vision. Uh, and then I think it's gonna be crucial to be very concrete and also be grounded in today's problem. You need to do, you really need to do both of those things and find and strike the balance.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just thinking exactly the same when you said, think about the opportunity. Um, I suppose like the last year or 18 months, how generative AI and AI is, you know, how, how junior engineers can come in, for example, and make a difference to an engineering team. Has, has anything like that happened? or Have you seen anything like that over the last six to 12 months that may have changed the vision?
2: It's an interesting question. I mean, I, I think it, it for us, it uh, AI and machine learning, uh, and I guess for, for many of uh, you as well, uh, it's already been core a core part of of uh, mm-hmm. of, uh, of our tech strategy and and some of the capabilities we're building. Uh, at least for for Boy, it's it's central to to some of the the business cases and and business capabilities we're building. Um, but of course, there's a lot of hype right now about uh, around generative AI, and it's. I think it's changing more if i, I see anything I, I think it's changing more on like ways of working and, and tooling rather than like the core product mm. because there we already were uh, looking at ml solutions mm.
3: and i think it's also when when talking about like three three from to five years from now and like a vision and a strategy to also keep it balanced and to to lead with like a mindset of like, hey, we need to, we can't just run with everything that is happening, like that is new and cool and, and potentially interesting, like, but to balance the group, to, to really carefully think, what does it mean for us? What, what's, what, what are the things we should take into consideration and what are things we potentially should think about later on or, or maybe don't think about at all at this point? So to find the like, what are the important things for us? like we said before as well. But Uh, same thing, uh, it's easy to run with something just because everyone talks about it.
2: Yes. I mean, you said something also that made me think, like, I I think it's easy to forget that because it's a tech strategy, it's easy to focus on on the technical parts and you you communicate with engineers. So you're over-indexed on, on, you know, the uh, technical aspects and and trying to get all the details right and in a way to convey the technical details. But because it needs to also be visionary, like you, you need to move, people's hearts and you need to paint that mm-hmm. so like really rebuilding it from the like dry technical uh, aspects to a, a narrative that really that people understand and putting it into context of, of where the business is going or where the industry is going or what's happening in the world. I think that is super crucial. Yeah. yeah.
1: And I think we, there can be a great uh, team effort between design and engineering. I don't know if you haven't had any experience, but kind of like trying to drive like the need to drive similar strategies right and that they can mm. go hand in hand you want to kind of have a consistent experience from a design perspective you want to to have like one experience and you want it to, to be uh, reduce the complexity uh, for the user and like there's a lot of overlap between design and, and engineering and i think we can also benefit from visualization finding great uh, uh, you know uh, Framings for things or, or how to paint that picture together and actually mm. um, be helped in how we communicate things together and drive things together.
3: Mm. Do you have some examples of how you have done that in like, in, in reality? like what?
1: I mean, in reality, we kind of uh, we, we actually did just that uh, kind ah. of like looking at how can we make an experience that like feels like it was built by one engineer, by one designer, when Mm -hmm. in fact it's kind of thousands of people that are working, but it all needs to come back, come down into one UI that needs to make sense. And then not only one UI, the same experience should appear on other surfaces where the the user expects to consume Spotify. So how can we make that consistency? That's That's a real problem for a designer. To figure mm-hmm. out that, but it's also a very real problem for an engineer to kind of how can we reduce complexity, make you fast in a, in a team, but scale it so we can reuse things so we kind of we worked on on how to make uh, metaphors for things and kind of like look at the piping of a house or we looked at kind of uh, some mottos like uh, reuse reduce extend like we kind of like thinking about things uh, finding a similar. Uh, vocabulary in uh, and also kind of figured finding good, good, good uh, strategy, good actually projects to lead. But I think that the most value that I found was kind of like uh, communicating uh, and finding a good narrative, strong narrative, because you need that. You need to mm-hmm. kind of get buy in from many different folks from many different uh, functions. So go. So teaming up, I think, was was very beneficial.
3: That makes a lot of sense. And I think that is also like connecting the dots and getting, like making the strategy, like get even closer to the product strategy and the business strategy, because you can actually, you can, you have something you can not touch on, but you can like see something. You have something that is visual and then like describing what you're trying to solve and like the technical aspect of it and like what product or business problems it's solving in
1: You're enforcing each other.
0: You're, you're like exactly. empowering each other. Um, yeah, mm. try that. Mm. Good one. <clears throat> uh, and how about you, Anders? I suppose back to you and back to your question. How do you build a strategy that's visionary and strategic enough?
2: So, I, I mean, I think we covered most of it. But I, one specific thing we did at uh, my last company as we built out a tech strategy was to uh, use the... Um, the, uh, the model or the model from the book, Good Strategy as Strategy. Uh, it's a really good book. So if you haven't read it, mm-hmm. sure you pick it up and read it through. Uh, but it has a very simple formula of, of describing a text strategy or a text strategy or any strategy. It should have three components. It should have a diagnosis really clearly defined, like describing like what is the one thing that we need to solve and, and what is the problem we're facing here. It should have a, a guiding principle, so really making some hard choices and saying, out of all the things we could do to tackle this, like here are the the like target state, here are the things that we want to be doing, and then taking the step to break that down into concrete actions. That was like really following that format and, and forcing mm-hmm. ourselves to to write the, them out and communicate uh, along like with that format it really helped us both. Mm-hmm. be Like looking out and saying like. Constantly communicating well, what is the problem we're solving, what is the diagnosis, but then tying it all the way down to concrete actions. So What are things we're doing next week, differently? Uh, next, uh, next month?
3: I love that book. We used
2: it as well. And like when we kicked off like the, the strategy work
3: a year ago, uh, everyone was encouraged to read that book uh, to, to build some confidence in mm. how to create a strategy.
1: I also love that book (laughs) and I also think that, I mean, there's some, I mean, there are many different methods and they're basically kind of uh, saying the same things. I I think I also Mm. believe in the value of the reusing and kind of not making new models all the time because the cognitive load of understanding what is a guiding policy or principle and what is there a difference between, you know, kind of uh, Mm. having the same model makes it easier. So trying to kind of reuse also that to make it so we can focus on the content of it and making so so we reuse that all over the
0: place Mm. nice brilliant all right so amazing amazing second question a lot to go through there thanks guys for, for the amazing answers on that one and last but not least your question joanna
3: yes so something i have thought a lot about um is how can you effectively secure team buy-in for the strategic direction and ensure efficient execution? Like, it's one thing to, to form a strategy, put it on paper, but then, like, the tricky thing is the actual execution. And to do that, you need everyone, more or less, in the, in the organization and specifically within engineering to buy into it. How, how do you do that? What's your thoughts there?
1: Yeah maybe if I can start um so if I start with uh, like it's two different pieces here uh, if you start with the buying perspective I I do believe that there needs to be broad involvement at some point yes. in the journey for sure I think there needs to be a small core team and I think the writing part cannot be kind of too many it's it should be a small group but, I, but getting there, and uh, you're going you're gonna to need to involve people. You're going to need to involve a lot of teams. So sideways, upways, downwards, you need to have representatives from, from all the teams that you are impacting, right? At some point, you need to kind of work with them in workshops. You need to, to drill into specific questions. I think the important is that, that you, you're, sending the, you're making it possible for, for everyone to influence the decision, to have a possibility to have an impact. So either you're part of a representative uh, workshop where you can have input or you review a document or a piece of document. Um, I think that's super important. But I think the actual like owning to, to, to write it and create it, it needs to be a small group. So that's what I wanted to say. Like, I think that was the main point on that. Mm-hmm. I think on um, efficient execution, like where to start. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think you're going to have to have. A, you're going to have a strong conviction. You need a lot of persistence. And uh, to, to actually kind of to because it's going to be you're, you're probably trying to solve a pro- hard problem and it's not going to be solved in a month or two. So you're going to have to run for over over time. You're going to have to have a pretty clear here to their plan. I think there the are different ways. I think like uh, the most obvious uh, way is to kind of bundle your technical improvement with already planned uh, business, uh, business work and then and, and add To make sure that it's also improving the tech while you're delivering what was already prioritized to do, I think that's 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 the choice which I would do if I if it was you know um, if I can I will always go with that. But then if you can't, I think there's uh, there's other ways to do it, and I think that having a virtual team. Uh, to kind of uh, create uh, to or a, a sWAT team or what you call it kind of just disconnect a team and have them focus like they are disconnected from the normal planning and prioritization because they are they they're set to solve a very very difficult problem and they need to finish what they do uh that has actually been a very very successful uh, when I look at like what has actually worked, right? What is mm-hmm. what are the main things, and what have I learned? I think where we've actually succeeded the best, it's the virtual team, and then it's kind of a one-year virtual team that then became a permanent team. Actually, that were set to solve oh, like creating a consistent way to deliver data towards all the clients that needs to to visualize it. Um, That's one thing. And the other thing is um, to kind of just stop delivering features for a while and actually take the hard cost of doing the technical change. You put, kind of like doing things incrementally is very, very difficult. And uh, where we actually were making something that was significantly improved, we kind of stopped to shift feature and build the change. And then we're so much better afterwards um so it's difficult right it's um uh, it's hard and I think that you you need to do use the tool in the toolbox that is uh best for the problem you try to solve and the organization you operate within um
2: mm-hmm.
1: I let you chip in Anders or Johanna
2: yeah I mean I'll, if I start I, I think you're absolutely right on the like involving people, and, and I, I see the same pattern of like having a small core group being the ones that, uh, that drive and, and, uh, and uh, drive the strategy and, and develop the strategy. Uh, but they need to go out and, and, and they need to have a broad representation as a core group, but they also need to go out and, and work with essentially all teams and all stakeholders at some point, too, and usually with, with workshop forms to. to uh both bringing uh like feedback and see like are we missing anything is this feasible should we change the strategy but also for a way as a way for, for the teams to reflect on like what does this mean for us like how do we translate this like high level strategy into our team or our, our reality and, and so it goes both ways there i think mm-hmm. uh and when it comes to execution i think the uh the one thing I, I've seen that really worked for us at uh, my last company as well was uh, to uh, to have the, I mean, we had a small group of, of staff engineers and then very senior engineers building the content of the tech strategy, but then to also include engineering management uh, in that work uh, pretty early on as a way for them to see like okay how do we actually staff this how do we how do we ensure that we can make uh, progress on this uh, where the engineers will typically come up with uh, the engineering solutions uh, but they can only influence and say like okay here's what we think we should be building uh, but then someone else sits with uh, with the budget and can decide on hiring or team structures or as you say like what is the level of investment investment here like do we put it on all our teams backlogs and do a little bit of work across all teams do we uh, create a, a standalone team for a year, and like those are uh, decisions and discussions that the managers will be much better placed to, to drive and own. So getting that mix, I think, of, of the engineers and the managers together uh, and owning, co-owning the strategy is key. Yeah,
1: that's a really good point. But I, I'm I'm curious to when you have tried different approaches, kind of like uh, what has been most successful in your in your experience.
2: I think we saw a, a, um, a pattern where uh, where it often started with like to prove out the first, like when, when you were starting something completely new, you need to set aside a little bit of, of time. So you need to pull people out of their teams or they're not going to be able to innovate or create that first like proof of concept. Uh, and either you find a way to to do that in that team that is very close uh, to the problem and, and stop them for a while and say, okay, this is now your this is your one goal for the next quarter or the next half year, uh, or to, to build a, a dedicated team for some time. Uh, for, for some time. Uh, but then I think it moved into a phase where it was easier to, once we knew, okay, this solution is actually going to work, but it still has a long way to go. Then it was easier to bundle that with other uh, product work and say, okay, yes, as part of this product initiative, we're also going to build out this solution. And at some point, it just became a like, okay, we we want all teams to build out observability. Here's the the checklist. Mm. Here's the the like golden path how to do it. And mm. then it was much more of a okay, across all teams, we need a percentage in, uh, investment, and we want all of the teams uh, to to focus on this uh, part of of, of the tech strategy versus what other things they could be improving. Mm. But that's the pattern I saw from like dedicated team and then uh, spread out over the, over time.
1: Yeah.
3: I, I, if I can jump in, I, I, I agree with everything you said. And I think it depends on what kind of problems you are trying to solve and also where you are in the process, exactly like you said. Um, and also, like, we, the, the kind of problems we are trying to solve now is very focused on, on like the core of the product and, and like ownership is central here. Like, teams need to feel the ownership. Uh, and, and even if, maybe like we having stock engineers like helping figuring out how to sort things but long term teams will own what they build so so they need to to feel that so i don't want to move it too far away from teams so it's a tricky tricky balance there
1: mm. i mean it's so de- depend on what you're trying to do but mm. i i thought i could just kind of add the example i was thinking of if that mm. makes sense because i think Sometimes you get into a problem where you really need to make a big lift. So the, the problem that we were having was that we had two applications. We have the, had the desktop application and we had the web player, and the, they were two different apps, standalone apps. And uh, you know, Spotify was moving so quickly, creating new experiences, and for every experience, we had to build it first once, and then we had to repeat everything else once more. And we we're realizing that this is actually this is pretty much the same user it's it can it's the same technology and that the the benefit of having one ui to Mm. to run both for the desktop client and for the desktop web player uh, would kind of uh, duplicate our speed and then because we were moving so so slowly and it was so kind of uh, it was impacting everything we did it's by doing that kind of change you need really need to make your leap of faith so i think the learning there is that we kind of Debated going incrementally, doing little by little, moving towards a new, better one app that can, Mm -hmm. that we can iterate on quicker. But then we kind of just decide we need to do this. We need to do it as quick, like just wrap the bandaid and get it, get it done. So kind of, we just stopped desktop for a long time Mm -hmm. and we focused on building out the new web player app that could run for both systems and, um, that's scary, you know, kind of making that big decision that has impact. And once you start, you kind of, you can't, there's no go with turning back. You need to kind of follow through. But I think uh, looking back at it is was one of the m- like main successes that we have done and it speed up so much. So, but again, it, it really depends on the challenge and the, the obstacle you have in your way, um, how you
2: execute it. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, decisions like that is also... Uh, hard to because uh, often we want to build that like ground up. We want to involve everyone. We, we want uh, the teams to feel empowered and, and make those decisions. But at a certain point, you reach decisions that the team will never be able to make. Like the the uh, I, I mean, I, I was also somewhat close to this problem. And of course, people who have been working on the desktop app for years and years uh, and are like deeply invested in that tech stack and know exactly how it works and all the benefits of it uh, mm-hmm. would of course have a very hard time to be able to. To make that leap and say now we think we should divest her and then move to something completely new like that is a mm-hmm. a, a decision you you need uh, like a, a senior leader to, to make for them and tell, tell them like okay here here is the decision i'm making this decision for you now help me like build up the plan for how to do this
0: yeah and and how about you Joanna how do you get buy-in at Mentimeter?
3: Well, yeah, that's a good question. I think my my thinking is like, execu- like taking maybe derailing a little bit, like but execution or or like creating the strategy and deciding on what to do and how, what approach to take, and then the execution. It goes hand in hand, and and I think it's important not to stress discussion too much, or at least like to ensure that everyone involved are heard. Uh, and also, like to help the, the, like it's it's back to the ownership, like to help the the strategy group, whoever is part of that group, to to make the decision. Don't do it for them. Um, but it, it's it's it definitely my my experience is it's worth spending some extra time uh, letting the group have the hard discussions. Let them argue. Let them like really try to figure it out. Uh, Because that will help you get the buy-in that you need later on during execution. Um, Because the the people who are part of forming the strategy will be the ones that will implement it together with their teams. And and if you don't have buy-in from them, you will not have buy-in from from teams either. Independently if it will be like a, a... special group that will start the implementation but later on it will be teams that will take it over and then it will be super costly if they don't buy into to the solutions but then as, as uh, i think amelie said from start like to at the same time also stay close to the bigger group and give them opportunities to, to give their input um, and to ensure that there is like communication happening like between everyone involved so like you said Anders like you need to have Leadership uh, involved as well, uh, so that they can then uh, take discussions when when needed closer to to teams.
0: You, you mentioned staff engineers before. What benefits can they bring to to a tech strategy at, at different types of companies?
3: Two things, I think. Like, two many many teams, but two things that comes to mind. One is of course seniority, like they have the experience, they have the the hopefully, the knowledge to say, hey, I know how to solve this problem. I've done it before. Uh, they, they can bring perspectives. They can, they can ensure that the right discussions are, are happening. Uh, so, so, first of all, the experience and, and the, the um, ability to influence the group and to, to help them make the right decisions.
1: Yeah, I mean they are the deepest and broadest experts we have, right? Mm-hmm. So they sort of like they they are the most knowledgeable about the topology, the the architecture, the the, the details and the depth of it. So I think that they are crucial to mm-hmm. uh, to work together with to figure out the path ahead.
2: Yeah, I often find also staff engineers. And they, they come in all uh, shapes and forms, of course, and with different strengths and different uh, uh, specialties. But I often find that they have a, a knack for not just solving the problem at, at hand, but also then thinking about like what are the implications for the org and for our like maintenance of this once it's out, and how mm-hmm. do we operate this, and all these things where uh, a more junior engineer might look at the, the code problem and say, okay, uh, mm-hmm. I have I have a way to, to solve this uh, coding-wise, but then don't think about the like, okay, what, what does this mean for how we operate as an organization three down, years down the line? And yeah. What are the implications on, on hiring and like completely other aspects that you also need to care about?
1: I mean, totally. But, the, but then it's also actually that they are, I mean, it's not only about juniority, to seniority, it's also about like having the time investment yes. to, to actually know the broader context. So, you know, context is king and understanding the broader strategies is super important. And if you are an engineer, like are fully devoted to a team, and you're operating with that, it's very, very hard to also be like to be up up to date on all the latest and greatest that happens everywhere. And I think the staff engineer has much more time to do that journey, to to to, to, uh, learn about the broader systems and how we built or why we built it that way to kind of figure out what is the the right the technical architecture going forward, so they have the time right as well.
0: <laughs> how, how how much time are they given out of a given week to you know go and explore or, or learn new things like you were saying, generally. Um-
1: I mean, they are uh, for I mean, maybe it depends on how you implement the role. And typically, they're appointed to the most the hairiest technical problems that we have. So Mm -hmm. they sort of like, it depends on what it is, sometimes it is embedding in a team to to help them reason and solve or provide context that they have learned elsewhere. Or uh, so but so so we're trying to kind of focus them with with a really hard technical problem and and spend like, like, the, the most majority of their time on that so typically they wouldn't the most often they're not plugged into a team but they are plugged to a problem or yeah. to and the, to the product area for like the, the the broader organization
3: we have the same setup and i think that's the key like not not being in a team but like having the, the broader perspective
2: Ron, well, I want to come back to something you said on on uh, letting the the core group that works on the strategy like really give them the time to work through differences and and uh, debate things and uh, and I think that's actually key. Like I, I almost want to go and like look for that friction because when you find a friction, I think that's when when you often find that okay, finally we're we're like seeing the fruits of, of the diver- diversity we have here in the team of like different technical perspectives, different backgrounds. Like you want to look for that friction. Of course, help it be constructive friction so they can move, like move, move along and don't get stuck in, in a like, conflict. Uh, but really look for that because that's when you are uh, like hardening the solution and then finding like, alternative path and seeing, okay, does this actually work from all perspectives, not just from a backend perspective or only from a design perspective.
3: Yeah. I, I agree. And that is so hard because it's so easy to just stress the discussion because you want to get to something concrete. You want to get it like into a written document and we have a decision. And and, and it's also, it's it's, uh, it, it's hard to see people like arguing yeah. about something and disagreeing about things. And also like knowing when is enough, enough. Like when, when have we come to a point when this is no longer productive? Yeah. And I think for me, I, I just like from From reality i I think I, I learned this from uh, someone we worked with uh, all of us like Naden many years ago when we I think it was maybe the first time I went through like really formulating a, a strategy and he was really pushing for like let the team discuss it's okay it's okay wait like it's okay to argue and i back then felt that it was it felt so awkward and and it was super hard to I just wanted to run for the, 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 first, the first decision or the first suggestion that came up. But now, maybe now I think it's six, seven years ago that this happened. Now I can, I can, I can really, really, truly understand it. And I can see myself trying to do the same thing, like really like, okay, let's wait. Let's, let's, uh, let's take one more meeting or let's, let's continue this discussion. Don't give it up. But that is for me, like the, the, I think that's a, that's a real challenge.
2: Absolutely. And uh, I mean, uh, perhaps especially coming from a, I don't know if it's a Swedish culture, but like a a slightly like conflict uh, avoidance culture. It's easy to see that as an open conflict. And then you realize Mm. like, no, this is just how we we get to a much better solution. And I think you're reminding the group of that, of saying like, hey, remember, we have differences here on the solution, but we're trying to solve the same problem. We're here to achieve the same goal. And that usually helps to move things along.
0: Yeah, I think even... All the best teams, sport, aren't they always have little tips or arguments, but all the best team, that's why they win because they have them hard conversations or, you know them and them friction moments, but not too much. Like you said, Joanna, um, there was a lot of questions in um, preparation for this podcast, <laughs> like we had to whittle it down. So, have you got any more questions for each other, or would you like to use one of the questions that we sort of had planned? I mean, I think
1: there is an interesting perspective on like how, when you kind of set the direction, kind of how prescriptive or articulated you are and how open you are in time, Mm -hmm. kind of like this is where the direction we need to take. And I think it's coming back to kind of uh, working with highly autonomous teams and having the highest respect for everyone's talent and brain. And you want to maximize that, but you also, and and I think what I've seen is, Historically, that sometimes we tend to be kind of um, too vague because we want to allow people to be autonomous and have a place, but kind of it kind of backtracks. It kind of doesn't have the intended outcome because we just become unclear and doesn't help. Mm -hmm. You know, so kind of like after all the conversation, after all the conflicts and conversations, it really needs to be clarity about like the here to there plan, what we are doing. And I think that sometimes that means like if you have through all that input, you have a pretty strong or high conviction about what you need to do. And you don't really expect that to change much. I think you should articulate what it is you're talking about. Uh, but then, then there are other places where you kind of like, you know, you want to solve a problem, but exactly how you solve the problem might be very different in different places. And you want to make sure to mandate that, that this is prioritized but the actual solution might differ. So I think that there is a place where you are not prescript- prescriptive, but I think that there often, I feel like we are shying away from being stating what we believe uh, to be the right way ahead. And that is not helping us because mm-hmm. we are sort of like, uh, uh, we're shying away from speaking what everybody has kind of uh, influence or all the conversation is leading to a high conviction then you should you should just state that that's my um, my my learning
2: yeah i i i mean I, this is a constant learning for me i keep running into this at, at every job and every organization i've been in mm-hmm. i think uh, and this like the i guess in the friction between the like i say highly autonomous teams and we have great people that have a lot of context and a lot of skills uh and you want to, to give them the freedom to, to use that and, and leverage those skills uh, but then also as you say like we, we might not get the benefits of a, of the tech strategy if we actually don't uh if we actually don't do the thing that we agreed to and, and we do it in the same way uh so i i think that's a constant challenge for me as well to at least mm-hmm. to, to to really crisply say like here is the decision this is not one of your the dimension of, of freedom you have like this is uh something we look down as a, a global decision for now and here's here's perhaps a how and when we revisit that uh, but it's not open for discussion Like that's uncomfortable to me to do but yeah. i also see a lot of benefits the few times i've done that like it, it really really helps the team focus on other problems they, they can go and say okay then let's not focus there and then go and solve other uh, perhaps more crucial business problems instead mm-hmm.
0: so that's how I, I like to remind
2: myself of like i'm, I'm freeing up their uh, mind space for more important problems yeah.
0: Uh, just remind me, Anders. What was what was the book you recommended again? I can't remember. What, what did you say?
2: Uh, it sounds like it came as a strong uh, recommendation from all three of us. But it's, yeah, good strategy, bad strategy.
0: Good strategy, bad strategy. Brilliant. Strategy, all right, guys. Good. Any final comments or anything you wanted to ask? Oh, appreciate this has been quite quite a long podcast so far, and I probably could go on another part too, like we we said <laughs> in the announcement. But anything anything else you wanted to add, anyone? Well, I must say, really enjoyable to listen to you guys. Some some of it admittedly goes straight over my head, but I did try, I did try and keep up. But, yeah, really enjoyed um, speaking to you guys on the podcast today. Um, yeah, can't thank you enough. And, and everyone listening, hopefully you can take something from that. If uh, you'd like to feature on a future podcast, please um, get in touch at scandyscript.com. We've got a couple of um, podcasts in the pipeline and also a new future series that I can't wait to tell you guys about. Thank you very much for listening and see you all soon.